listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. copy of God's Word, we will be in the book of Romans chapter 6, and I'll just invite and encourage you to have that in front of you as we dig into the Word of God this morning. Um, Back in 2020, um, some of us on leadership here at the church uh, began a conversation uh, that many churches and pastors and people have had uh, throughout time, and that conversation was something along the lines of, how can we as a church effectively communicate what it means to follow Jesus over the course of your life. Because the temptation that will happen, and we've probably recognized it personally or seen it corporately, that um, the reality is that a church could exist uh, between the walls on Sunday morning where people come in, come out, uh, day after day, week after week, year after year, and then nothing transpires in their life. And so we would hold that in contrast to what the biblical narrative is when somebody encounters Jesus, there is a transformation that takes place. Sometimes in the moment, sometimes over time, but there is a movement that can happen in your life. And so if you have been in church long enough, you will see the story where somebody might have been a part of the faith gathering, um, identify as a Christian, do the things for years and decades of their life, but then nothing changes. And that's not what the Bible describes. So, I mean, this term that is used so often uh, with uh, Jesus is one of followership or being a disciple. And so we know what that word means. It means like you, uh, you pick a teacher and then you line up your life with their life. And so we do know that um, the ideas of Christianity are in, ter- uh, in terms, they are belief. They are beliefs we hold to, but those beliefs are supposed to translate into action. And so this is something churches have talked about for centuries. Like how can we communicate this effectively? What it means to follow Jesus over the course of your life? What are the changes that are supposed to occur? What does that look like practically speaking. And so through that conversation, through these meetings, we wanted to develop a framework for our church here at Park Springs. How can we articulate, how can we have a a shared language to talk about that process of following Jesus over time? And so we kind of coalesced that into this uh, class that we called Discovery. And so last fall, uh, we rolled that out, and a lot of you participated in that class. And what we wanted to do, it wasn't like, hey, if you you go through this class, you, you know all the things. And so you're good to go. But it was to kind of provide this framework to give people um, some ideas like, hey, what does it look like to follow Jesus over time and be transformed by that relationship? And at the beginning of that class, and I know a lot of you participated in that, so I hope that in some ways there's some familiarity to some of the things I'm going to say this morning. Uh, We kind of began that with this understanding of the gospel. You know, it is this word we throw around a lot, and it might have uh, different connotations or uh, convey different images for different people just based off your experience, but we know, in, in its essence, it is the message of Jesus. And so if the message of Jesus is one that has this transformative effect over time, but we can look at our own lives and look at the people around us and maybe see a lack of that transformative effect, we should ask ourselves the question, this is where we begin the class, is like, when it comes to the gospel, what could we be missing? What is missing in our understanding of the message of Jesus if we can see this lack of change over time? 
And not only that, we ask two questions in regards to the gospel because we would say that um, this message of Jesus is supposed to progress in our lives as we follow him. So what might we be missing? But then we should ask ourselves the question, it's like, where is it taking us? Where is the gospel going? And so you get that imagery in the scriptures that sometimes uh, living as a Christian is compared to a walk. And so we use that language, the Christian walk. What is the Christian walk look like? Or, or we can even take it directly from the scriptures that it's described as a race. That, that's what Paul says as he's nearing the end of his life, that he has run his race, that there is like this destination in mind that is not just this uh, repeat event we attend, that we are supposed to be going somewhere. And so those are questions we should ask about our own understanding of the message of Jesus. Like, what might we be missing? And then also, where is it supposed to be taking us? And although we might articulate it uh, different ways or kind of explain it a little bit differently, I would say one of the things when it comes to the gospel, what we often miss is that we can uh, limit the scope of what it actually is to this idea of getting our sins forgiven so that we can get into heaven. So sometimes that's just kind of our understanding of the gospel. And maybe that's a starting point and that's okay. But I just want to exclaim to you that like the gospel is more than your get out of hell free card. And so one of the things I, I just want to come around this morning, and I, I think this is where Paul's going and we're going to get into the text, is that um, I would say one of the central elements of the gospel is the biblical idea of our union with Christ Jesus. I think so often we think of it in terms of getting our sins forgiven, and that is absolutely part of the gospel. That is why Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. But Jesus dealt with our sin in order that we could have the relationship with him that we were designed to have. And so I'd say a, 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 a part of the gospel that can be sometimes missing in our understanding is that idea of union with Christ. And I've already alluded to it, and so I would say what that leads to, where is the gospel taking us, is transformation over time through that union with Christ. And so that is our setup this morning as we get into the book of Romans, chapter 6, and we will be in verse 1 through 14, because Paul is going to begin to talk about the change that should occur in the life of someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That that idea, that uh, salvific moment, that conversion experience you might have in your story, or I am praying that God brings you to in your story, is not the end goal, but just the beginning of a life lived with Jesus. And so the Bible is going to begin to describe what it looks like to change and the effect that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that a relationship with the God of the universe can have on your life. So I would just invite you to look at verse 1 of chapter 6 as Paul begins in some ways an argument. This is what he says at the beginning of this chapter. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, we have to think back all the way to two weeks ago, because I know we might have the Easter haze, and I don't know how much candy you've consumed in the past two weeks, but he is referencing something we have already covered as a church, but look back just very quickly, a little bit up the, cha- the page, to chapter 5, verse 20, because this is it, Paul, in his clarification of the gospel, he makes it very clear on um, if, um, if there is an epic battle between the grace of God and the sin of humanity, God's grace wins. And so Pastor Charlie made that so clear. And so this is what the Apostle Paul said in verse 20 of chapter 5. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
What a beautiful statement from the scriptures that just uh, hits my heart at a deep level because that's been my experience with the transformative love of Jesus Christ where my sin has abounded, God's grace has abounded more. But it leads to this natural question, and this is where Paul is going in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I think that is a natural question. Because as we champion the grace of God, that for me to have a right relationship with God, it is not any work that I could produce in and of myself, that it is all the grace of God on my life, that he has done all of the saving work, and I just get to enter in and partake in and be blessed by the work that Jesus did on the cross, that I enter into this relationship by faith in Jesus Christ. Naturally, a question that could come about is, so does it actually matter what I do? I think that is a natural question. I think Paul, in his uh, articulation of the gospel and defense of the gospel, is trying to raise these questions that are going to come about for us. Does it matter what we do? Should we just continue on? You know, if God's grace is sufficient for all of my mistakes, all of my shortfallings, like what does it actually matter what I do? And he answers it very clearly, but there's going to be a lot to talk about. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And so it is very clear in, right there in his articulation of the gospel that to think that our sin no longer has a bearing on our life once we have placed our faith in Jesus is a limitation of the gospel message in our life. And so what I think Paul is going to do and what I want to do this morning is address two attitudes that we can fall into in regards to our sin. So, I mean, obviously a big theme of the Bible is the fact that we have fallen and that we trespass against a holy God, and we can all kind of feel that. We can feel that condemnation. We can feel that shame in our life. And so, uh, thank God for the, the grace that is bestowed on us through Jesus to make a way for the forgiveness of sins. But once we have entered into that relationship with God, then what? What comes after that? And I feel like that's where we sometimes get left in church, that maybe, depending on your background, maybe you came in, you, you had an experience with Jesus, and then you attend church. And then the kind of question is like, then what? What is supposed to transpire? And so I think two attitudes that we might struggle with in regards to our sin and what Paul is going to address, one is an attitude of rebellion, that it doesn't matter what I do. You know, I've, I've got the card, I've got the stamp, I've, got, I've punched my ticket to heaven so things are good and I can just do whatever I want. We might still continue in this attitude of rebellion, like, okay, yes, Jesus, forgive my sins, so now I'm good to go. So that might be one of the things we struggle with or might wrestle internally with. But another attitude that we might fall into is one of resignation. The yes, I believe Jesus saved me. I believe that he took my sin, um, but um, for my current day-to-day -day struggles, that's just where I am. Like that I've been um, trying for years to move past certain things and uh, nothing has worked, so I've got to just count on the grace of God uh, for my eternal salvation because obviously right here in the here and the now, like this is, this is just the reality I live in. And so that's what Paul, I think, is going to get in, uh, into and what we need to come around this morning and evaluate our own hearts and ask ourselves where, where we might be in our attitude towards this biblical idea of sin and our trespasses against God. So this is what he says in verse 2. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live into it? And so he is going to clarify that an aspect of the gospel message is this beautiful word we use called sanctification. 
that justification is this idea of God has declared us righteous because of Jesus and because of that reality that God is going to begin this work in our lives to bring us and conform us into the image of Jesus. And so we use this term sanctification, of being made righteous over time. And so one of those gospel realities is that there is a work that is taking place in my life. So when I place my faith in Jesus, that is the beginning of this glorious thing God's going to do in my life to bring me to himself at the fulfillment of time. And so I love how the Apostle Paul actually articulates it in the book of Philippians. He says this, he says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so this is what Paul is, is moving into, that there is this work that is going to transpire in your life, that our salvation is not just this event in our past, but we were saved, are being saved, and going to be saved because Jesus is going to be faithful to bring us home and complete the work he has begun in you. And so that is what Paul is saying, and he begins to use this analogy. If you look in verse three, this is what he says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism is this other aspect of the gospel. And so what he is saying right here, he says, those of you who have been baptized into Christ, and we probably have this um, religious understanding of that act that probably many of you have participated in at some point in your spiritual journey. Most people associate it with Christianity at this point, this idea of water and committing your life to Jesus. And maybe depending on the tradition you were brought up in, looked a little bit different. But this, this literal word in the Greek is this one of immersion, which is one of the reasons like, why we would teach that uh, you know, we, we don't sprinkle here. You, know, you gotta go all the way in the water regardless of how cold the baptismal is that morning. Like you're gonna get dunked. And so that's literally like the word in the Greek is one of immersion. And so it's, it's saying right here, like, don't you know those who have been immersed in Christ? So it, it is both this physical reality and this spiritual reality. And it is, I, I would say, completely conveying it's those of you who have begun this relationship with Jesus. Like you have offered yourself to Jesus. You have asked him to save you. You have been immersed in Christ. You have been brought in to the family of God because that ritual we partake in is to mirror a spiritual reality. And so that's what Paul is saying right here about baptism. And so that is in our understanding of this Christian walk, this Christian life we lead. We do this act, and that act mirrors the gospel. And so he's gonna to begin to unpack that reality of baptism, how that is supposed to be the story of what takes place in our life. And so he talks about that, like, and, and we would know how that goes so, so often, definitely within our tradition of you've made a profession of faith. You're saying yes to Jesus, like I have asked Jesus to save my sin. And then we do baptism as a step of obedience, okay? So you're going to declare it before all people that you are going to, you're going to walk down in the water and you're going to say, yes, I am trusting Jesus alone for the salvation of my soul. And because of that, I want to declare that to everybody. And so, uh, you know, we, we grab you and uh, congratulate you and affirm you and, you know, then just declare in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and we, we put you under the water and, and bring you back up. It's a, a wonderful moment in the life of a believer, and it is mirroring the gospel story. 
that our lives were marred by sin and to be brought into the saving relationship with Jesus, there's this death that needed to occur and Jesus paid the ultimate price with his death on the cross, but we also need to die to our old selves that there is this sin nature in me that has kept me from the fullness of the relationship with God that I was designed to have. And so death needs to occur. We need to die and be buried in order that Christ's life might be made known in my life. So then we are raised, we come out of the water. We experience, as the Apostle Paul says right here, we walk in newness of life. And because that reality, that spiritual reality that we get to mirror in this physical act is one of the union that the gospel is calling us to. Look with me in verse five and following. This is what he says. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. This is one of the specific aspects of the gospel that we can't miss, that my life was designed to be united with Jesus, that my sin was the barrier that Jesus overcame, and that was not the final step, that was the beginning in me really figuring out what life is actually about. And you get these sprinklings all over the New Testament, this imagery of how Jesus's life is supposed to be made manifest in my life. We are supposed to be united with him. And the Apostle Paul uses this language so much in Galatians. He says, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so when we partake in baptism, when we partake in being immersed in Christ, our old self has died so that the life of Jesus would be lived in me. We can't miss that aspect of the gospel. It is not simply a forgiveness of sins. That is a first step so that we could be united with Jesus and transformed by that relationship with him. And so it does give that language. And then as we get to verse 11 of chapter 6, this becomes the first moment in the, the entire epistle of Romans. You know, we're six chapters in where Paul actually gives an imperative command. So at this point, he's, he's been descriptive as to some spiritual realities of the wrath of God, the saving work of Jesus, but he actually hasn't commanded or brought instruction to any of the people he's writing to yet. And so for the first moment in Romans, he's telling us what we should actually do because of all of these spiritual realities. So look in verse 11, after he has described this reality of baptism, our union with God, our death to our old self, our new life in Christ, this is what he says. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. It's the first imperative in the whole book. He has been very descriptive, now he's getting prescriptive. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin. It kind of feels like 
a, a simple statement. You know, if, as you think about the commands of Scripture that maybe you know, some of the things you've read within the Bible of some of the things God says to do or some of the things he says to not do, like this one feels a bit innocuous to me, but I, I think there's a lot to this. That Paul is saying there is this reality as you um, um, seek to understand the message of Jesus that there is this work, this spiritual heavenly work that God is doing in your life that he's going to be faithful to do. And so what we need to do is to actually realize that that work is taking place in our lives. And so he's gonna give a couple more action words for us to uh, latch onto. He says, consider, and then he says, let not and do not, and that we shouldn't present ourselves to sinfulness, but we should present ourselves to God. But it all begins with this idea of considering, that when this saving work began in our life, that there is a, a progression that is taking place that Jesus is going to bring to fulfillment. So we do need to reflect on that reality and realize that there is something transpiring. And so as we think about the gospel that, you know, if one of the things we might miss is this union aspect with Jesus, that the result of that union aspect is transformation over time. That if we are united with Christ, in living out the relationship that's described in the Bible, there is transformation, there is result, or as the Bible talks about it, as fruit. And so I love the way Jesus actually describes this reality in John chapter 15, a very familiar passage where he talks about how God is the vine and we are the branches. It is this work that God is doing in the lives of people. So what he says there is this idea of union. He says, if you abide in me, if you live in me, then I will live in you. And there's this twofold work that God begins to do in our lives when we live out this spiritual reality. And so it talks about that in that passage, John 15, uh, in, in, in two different movements. One, it says that God will produce fruit. So he's going to form us. He's going to produce something. There is gonna be the aspects of his spirit, the life of Jesus made manifest in my life is going to have an outward result. And so God is going to form us into the image of Jesus if we abide in him, if we prioritize this relationship, if we realize the union we've brought into when Jesus has already dealt with our sin. So there's this forming. But then it also talks about how uh, God is going to cut away it uses the garden term pruning, that any, any branch does not bear fruit, God prunes so that fruit can be produced. And so God is both forming us, but he's also freeing us. And that's what Paul is talking about in regards to consider yourself dead to sin, that the reality is that for me to experience the abundant life of Jesus that is offered in the scriptures, it's not me holding on until eternity, that there is something God is offering me here and now because of his love for me, that he is both going to form me into the beloved image of his son, but he's also going to free me from the hold that sin has on my life. And so this is what Paul says, consider, think about, dwell on, meditate on the reality that we are dead to sin. Because here's what we should recognize about just how humans work a lot of things that begin in the mind become translated to our external actions. And I think that's what Paul is hinting at. You know, uh, 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 for us to consider something, for us to, for us to dwell on something, for us to uh, meditate on something, it's gonna begin in the mind, it's gonna be, begin in the internal, and then it's going to work its way out externally. And this happens both 
positively and negatively, that our thoughts, that's going to have a big impact on the things we do, and it can lead us in a godly direction, or sometimes it can lead us in an ungodly direction. The Apostle James, he kind of talks about it in the negative. In James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he describes it in the other direction. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's an internal attribute. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Consider. It starts in your mind, which has an impact on your identity, which eventually will lead towards external actions. Within the uh, kind of scope of Christian teachings, this idea has uh, collectively kind of been called or termed your thought life. Your thought life has a big impact on the rest of your life. You know, we are an an embodied person, but there's a lot of things that go on with each of us just beneath the surface. There are the things we dwell on. There are the fears we have. There are the thoughts we hope nobody else ever gets a wind of. There are all the things that happen internally that have a big impact on our Christian life, and our thought life has a big impact on what will become our external actions. All of those things work themselves out together. And so this is what Paul is saying about the reality of the gospel in your union in Christ. You need to consider yourself dead to sin, but alive in Jesus. And I think it's important You know, when he describes this gospel, hey, you're you're buried with Jesus, you're raised to walk in newness of life. You know what he doesn't say? He says, okay, now don't make any more mistakes. Because that's not the message of the Bible. And that's that's not the reality any of us have lived out, regardless of how long we've been following Jesus. In fact, the apostle John, he will go as far as to say, if any of you says you are without sin, you're a liar. And so it is really this reality that there has been this change that has taken place in us in a spiritual sense that begins to work itself out in our actions, but it really is this change of relationship. And so I think we understand that a lot in regards to beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we submit ourselves to him, we ask for his salvation, we ask for his forgiveness, we begin this relationship with God. But what the Bible also describes is that when we have placed our faith in Jesus, when we have entered in, it changes our relationship to sin. So I don't think we often think of it in terms of this, but in regards to to sin and death, it is really often personified within the scriptures. You know, it talks about death like that, that Jesus had to overcome a foe, that there was this like opposing force. In fact, you know, in Corinthians, it says like the last enemy to be defeated is death. And it talks about sin this way. So I know for myself, I, I usually just think of it as like, you know, I'm a good person who sins sometimes. And that's kind of how I kind of think of it. It's like, you know, it's these little mess ups over here that kind of interrupt my life every once in a while. But what the Bible is saying, that your relationship to sin, your relationship to rebellion against God pre-Jesus is one of dominion and one of reign. That sin has authority over you, that you belong to it. And that's what he is talking about in verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And so I think we realize that when we come to Jesus Christ, we begin this relationship with him. We call him Savior. We call him Lord. We submit to his authority. And before that moment, our relationship to sin was the same way. 
It was one of dominion. It was one of reign. And that's why uh, the Apostle Paul is saying like, hey, as you have begun this transformation process through Jesus Christ, one of the mental battles you are going to have to fight is to realize that the dominion that sin had over you has been destroyed by Jesus Christ. Now, that does not mean that you are not going to struggle and you are not going to fall into these old patterns from time to time, but you have to consider, you have to think on, you have to meditate on the reality that Jesus has destroyed sin and that fundamentally your relation to it has changed. And so to think about this, uh, I, I want to use an illustration that's uh, specifically targeted uh, to the millennials in the room, of which I am a part of that generation. And so here's how I want you to think about it. Uh, in the second book of the Harry Potter series, The Chamber of Secrets, <laughs> uh, you get introduced to a character named Dobby the House Elf. Uh, who is a lovable character. Um, and uh, you get pictures of him in the movies, um, but even more so in the books. So you get introduced to this character, these house elves who are slaves. So they are enslaved to certain families and they have to do the bidding of their master. And so you get lovable little Dobby who wants to help Harry, but he's going against, he's defying his masters. And so what happens is anytime he goes against his master's wishes, he has to punish himself. And so he'll try to help Harry and then he'll have to smack himself around and Harry's always telling him to stop. Uh, but the end, at the end of that book, this really wonderful, I almost said magical, uh, this really wonderful moment happens uh, through a set of circumstances I can't explain all of, uh, but Dobby gets set free. He gets presented a sock, and so Dobby becomes a free elf. Uh, so he jumps in and out of the story, and most of the time when he jumps into the story, he's trying to figure out how to live out his freedom. And so he knows, like, he doesn't have to do his old master's bidding. He doesn't. But throughout the story, whenever he's interacting, oftentimes, like, he'll do something that his freedom allows, but there's still this old remnant of what the, uh, the yoke and dominion he used to live under, that he'll do something that goes against his old masters and he'll still punish himself. And they keep having to remind him, like, Dobby, you don't have to do that. Like, you, you've, been, you've been set free. And so there, there comes to this climactic moment for Dobby where he is uh, saving Harry and he is confronting his old masters. And there's this moment where uh, his masters confronts them and they say like, you know, how dare you defy your masters? And Dobby says, I'm a free elf. He has this moment of realization where he is no longer under the dominion of what he once was before. And I feel like so often... That's the reality we've missed in our own life. That we are still living as if sin has dominion over me. That when it comes to my areas of weakness and my areas of temptation, when I hit those moments that I don't have the option, that I am going to repeat those patterns, I'm gonna go fall back into what it is, I am going to choose those things, and I'm gonna trust that the grace of God is sufficient for me in those moments, but I still feel like I don't have the choice, that I'm not set free, that I have not realized that Jesus came not only to save my eternal soul, but to give me freedom in these moments from the power of sin and death in my life. We have to consider ourselves dead to sin, and that's what he says in verse 5, that we would walk in a newness of life, that we would walk as sons and daughters of Jesus who've been set free. 
It means we don't live the same way we used to. We don't live in the same relationship we used to have to sin where it reigned over our lives and it made us obey the passions of our flesh and the desires of our heart that were contrary to the things of God. We need to walk in the newness of life here and now that Jesus accomplished for us through his work on the cross where he destroyed the works of sin and death so that we could experience the true freedom we have in Christ. And so when I think about what it means to uh, consider myself dead to sin, how do I dwell on those things? I think we really just need to value the freedom that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. So once again, I think two of the attitudes that come out of this in regards to um, where we stand in regards to our sin is one, um, it has to confront uh, an idea of rebellion. That yeah, hey, I, I'm good to go. I, I took care of these things, you know, when I said yes to Jesus or when I repeated the prayer at VBS or I, when I walked the aisle at one point at youth camp, like I'm good to go. So now I can do whatever I want. And so sometimes I, I feel like there's this longing into us that we, uh, we think um, just too much of the old life we used to have. You know, you, you think about the story of the Exodus with the, uh, the Jewish people when God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. At some point, they, they kind of missed the slavery. You know, like, remember in Egypt when we had cucumbers and things were nice and they were slaves? And I feel like sometimes we can think too fondly on when we used to have uh, that sinful life, like that, man, those, those, uh, those other things we used to do or those other things we used to have access to, that was, that was kind of fun, right? You know, we, we can think fondly on our life before, and that is an, an attitude of rebellion that uh, Jesus came to set you free from that reign and dominion. So what you might picture in your mind is just some of that fun you used to have was actually enslaving your life, and Jesus came and sacrificed himself to purchase your freedom out of that. So let us not have an attitude of rebellion like that we can just do whatever we want because Jesus paid it all and we can sing about the grace of God. It is belittling the sacrifice of Jesus that he rescued you out of those circumstances so that you could experience newness of life, freedom from sin, so that you wouldn't have to go back to those old patterns of dominion over and over and over again, that you could walk in the freedom he has offered to you. So let's, let's value the freedom he's given us. Let's not miss slavery. Let's not miss the dominion that sin had on our life. Let's not think fondly on uh, those uh, desires that waged war against our soul. But then the other attitude I, I think we can fall into a lot is one of, of resignation. That we know it's a spiritual reality, but we don't ever think it's gonna be an actual reality that I experience freedom. Like, it's been too many failures. It's been too many years, it's been too much wasted effort without any result. And let me just tell you, you know, last week we, we celebrated Easter. And I think most of us would assent to that we worship a God who not only lived, that he died, and three days later was resurrected from the dead. And if you believe that Jesus can suffer death and then be resurrected back to life, how much more do you think he could change your life? You know, we, we enter into a relationship with Jesus through belief. I think we know that. You know, we place our faith in Jesus. And, you know, Romans 10, we'll get to, actually talks about that. When we uh, believe in our hearts, 
that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we, we will be saved. It's how we enter into that relationship, through belief. And so there is something very powerful, something very tangible about what it means to actually believe in God. And that results in transformative and saving faith when we actually have confidence in our souls that he is who he says he is and he's done what he has said he has done. And so if we believe that Jesus raised himself from the dead, that he could overcome death itself, like the most powerful reality any of us have humanly experienced is one of death, how much more could he resurrect your life from the things that have felt unescapable before? And so in, in my role uh, as a pastor from time to time, you know, as I, I sit with people and some of the, the gospel I have to preach to myself is that regardless of how strong the pull of sin feels in your life, the biblical spiritual reality is that you can say no because Jesus has set you free. And so there is something very powerful. It might seem simple, but there is a significance to that commandment. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. No longer present your body as instruments of sinfulness, but present yourself to God. It's this reality that every day when we face those temptations, we got to say, you know, maybe I failed yesterday, but today I'm going to choose Jesus that I'm not going to turn back to that enslavement I once had where I had to obey those desires. I had, I had nothing else, but Jesus has set me free from that, so I do have the power within me through his spirit to say no. And am I going to every single time? No. And that's why the grace of God is sufficient. But I do look at the commands of Scripture, you know, I think about how many times I've sat with young men and just walked through 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says this, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except for what is common to man. And God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you can stand, but will give you a means of escape so that you can withstand it. That regardless of how strong that pull feels towards sin, God is faithful, and on the days you say yes and walk in your freedom, he is going to be faithful, and on the days you can't remember that reality and you choose sin, he's going to be faithful. And one of the, you know, of all the verses in the Bible, you know, and there's some incredible verses, and there's some crazy verses, and there's some things I'm still struggling to understand. One I come back to, the like, man, like, man, this one's hard for me, is, is in the book of Jude, which is this short, like, one-chapter book. But Jude one twenty four, it gives this benediction at the end, and it says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I struggle with that because there's still this reality that I, I, I haven't gotten my heart and my mind around that I'm, that I'm dead to sin, that I have life in Jesus. And so like the Bible's saying that Jesus is powerful enough, that he is overcome enough, that he could present you blameless, that he could keep you from stumbling. Like I need that gospel truth in my life daily. I need to consider those things. I need to set my mind on that reality. I need to dwell on things above. So we enter into this salvation through belief. We believe that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose. And if you can believe that, there is nothing in your life that would be as difficult to overcome as three days of death and decay and then literal bodily resurrection to a restored new life. 
There is nothing you are struggling with that is more powerful than the grave. There is no sin that you have uh, dabbled in for years and decades of your life that Jesus cannot handle because all authority has been given to him because he has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And so he can raise us to walk in newness of life. His sacrifice insufficient. His burden is easy. His yoke is light. Brothers and sisters, let us consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. As we wrap up this morning, there is a reality of any time we encounter the work of God, the response should always be to respond. Like, because I just know, like, because honestly, in, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning because I know the struggles I face every single week, and I, and I know how often, like, I don't remember that Jesus has set me free, and so I know I, I need that in myself, and so I just invite you to evaluate which, which attitude are you falling into this morning? Like, is it one of rebellion? Like, you know, I kind of want the sin. Like, it still has that level of hold on my life. Like, I, I want it more than I, I want Jesus, or is it one of like, you know, I hate this thing, but it feels like it has control. Like I've, I've tried everything and nothing has worked. You know, both of those attitudes, I would just say biblically re require repentance. It's that we, we lay it at the feet of Jesus and trust his grace and just admit God, like this is where I am. And I know this is contrary to your word. And so as we wrap up this morning, we're going we're gonna to have music, we're going to sing these songs, but I'm also going to invite our elders up front. And I would just say, I'm going I'm to pray for us, and then we're going to turn to a song. And if God is, is working in your life, don't let those moments go by. If he has spoken to you, if he has revealed something to you, if he is calling something out of you, if you want to experience the freedom that Jesus has to offer, I would just invite you, as, as we sing the songs, come and receive some prayer. Come talk to Pastor Charlie, come talk to one of our elders, and just um, have a moment with the Lord. Lord, because what the Bible says about Jesus is it's like he's knocking on a door. That's, that's what he says. He's, he's like, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody would just open that door, I would come in and make my life with them. And let me just tell you, because I've had some tastes and glimpses and some moments of just the sweetness of relationship with Jesus Christ, that there is nothing else worth pursuing. There is nothing else taking a bold step of faith towards, of experience freedom in Christ Jesus. Not that we will uh, cease to make mistakes, but that we can experience the newness of life that Jesus offers. So let me pray for us, church. We're going to sing a song, and if God moves you, please, please come forward. Respond in faith to the message and invitation of Jesus Christ this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus Christ. That you have set us free from the dominion of darkness, from the power of sin, God, that, that is not simply a future reality, but it can be a present reality. God, that as we drag things into the light, that you are faithful to heal and to restore God, help us to remember that although the enemy might trick us, you have final authority. You have all dominion and all power. God, that we have been set free from the power of sin so that we could walk in newness of life. God, help me to experience that this morning. Help our church to experience that this morning so that we could play, proclaim the, the excellencies of your goodness trusting in your grace as sufficient for my sin, trusting in your mercies every day. God, move in us, Lord, in Jesus' name.